All right, welcome back to the Old History Podcast. And it's December the 31st, 2021, as I record this. So I want to wish everybody a Happy New Year, and thanks to everybody for following Old History for the last year. It sure has been a wild one, and all kinds of cool things have, have uh, popped up for me in Old History. And I'm really just excited to have gone through that and been able to share it with you guys. Because Old History wouldn't have been possible without you know you the viewer you know what was it pbs said uh this program was made possible by viewers like you and that always made me feel good you know as a kid so seriously though um no news for old history uh but let's just hope uh the new year brings everybody some good news uh, that being said, I know old history has some really, really cool things coming down the pipeline. You know, I, I can't, I don't want to talk about it and then it not happen, but, uh, Warren Doctor and I from the East Tennessee Historical Society have been talking about a few things we're going to do. So, I'll tell you, you know, as a New Year's present that it's going to be a collab between me and him, or me and the East Tennessee Historical Society, kind of. Uh, so just... I can't, I don't want to talk about it, you know, in case something comes up and we have to, you know, change directions here, but I'm excited about it and you guys will be excited about it too. I know there's going to be some really cool videos and content I'm going to be able to bring you guys in the new year. So I have no news for old history other than that. I had the week off from work. I've just been chilling out, doing a lot of family research and I've found some more connections between the Carmichael side of my family and uh, Rodham Kenner. Somebody on the one of my ancestry sites sent me a bunch of uh, wills between um, where Rodham Kenner willed all of his land to my grandfather. And it's just really cool to see because uh, there's just a bunch of important names in there. The John Adams was one of them, uh, I believe, and all kinds of other people. All right, so with all that being said, let's uh, dive right into the podcast. So the last thing we talked about, uh, what we talked about last week was, um, we talked about Valley Forge and the Battle of Bunker Hill, which was an accident. Um, and the only natural thing to, to succeed that with talk about next would be the Battle of Saratoga which was there was a couple of key turning points in the Revolutionary War this was one of them the other the other one would have been um, Kings Mountain so when America defeated the British uh, at Saratoga you know we had been a little bit down but this really lifted the troop morale you know and they kind of the fire got a little hotter you know and they they were burned a little hotter for independence so let's just talk about it here for a minute so by mid-september uh general john Burgoyne's uh, forces i believe i pronounced that right would reach the northern outskirts of the small village of saratoga general horatio gates Commander of the Northern Department of the Continental Army is ready with 8,500 men. And by the way, I'm reading these from uh, Massachusetts History, 
battlefields.org, U.S. history, and one more. So anyway, he's coming along with him would be General Benedict Arnold. I don't know where that, that name's familiar from. And Colonel Daniel Morgan, who, who was leading about 500 Virginia riflemen. Now to disrupt, you know, the British advance south, Gates would have his troops erect defenses on the crest of Bur Bemis Heights. A series of bluffs from which both the Hudson River and the road can be seen from there. American artillery will have the range to hit both the river and the road. In order to attack, the British will have to use the road as a forest, as the forest and vegetation to the east are too dense to permit any sort of effective troop movement. The Americans would also put up a fortified wall a little less than a, a mile from Bemis Heights. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. The wall would extend about three quarters of a mile and created a, a big old L shaped, looked like an L. 22 cannons would be put behind this defense, providing the Americans with some pretty good artillery cover. So this would be roughly uh, 15,000 Americans uh, to 6,000 British, according to battlefields.org here. Uh, now there are two key battles here that we're going to discuss. One of them is, let me go down to it here, would be the Battle of Freeman's Farm, which took place on September 19th. General Bragani would divide his army, numbering about 7,500 into three columns. He wanted to use each column to probe, to probe American defenses. Colonel Daniel Morgan's light infantry engages with the center column near Freeman's farm. It is a pretty contested fight with the field changing hands several times. By evening, the British, uh, reinforced by 500 German Hessians, hold the field, but the action has blunted their forward notion, forward motion. You know, they lost almost 600 troops, expecting to be reinforced by General Henry Clinton, almost said Hillary there, uh, coming from New York City, and General Bagani would choose to dig in. Up until Clinton came in to relieve them, British forces were basically, you know, and quite literally trapped in the New York wilderness with very little food supplies. Food, their food storage was dwindling, and the troops were reduced to half rations. While the British remained stuck, the American army was replenished and grows to about 13,000 strong. So, moving on to October the 7th, uh, the British, you know, they were trying to get out of there. You know, they were just basically, it was a slaughter. They were trying to find a way out, and General Bagani would send a reconnaissance force to attack the Americans up at Bemis Heights. But the Patriots would somehow get wind of the plan would force the British to withdraw their well-defended, uh, I can't pronounce that, what is that, Bacaris Redoubt, I believe, somebody correct me. Uh, several hundred yards north is the Bremen Redoubt, defended by, well, 200 German soldiers and officers. It's just really kind of like a stick in the way for the Americans. With uh, Benedict Arnold riding out in front to rally the troops, the Patriots would capture the Redoubt, and Arnold is seriously wounded in the left leg. 
So, on October the 8th, the British army attempts to escape north, but a, but a pretty cold rain forces them to stop and encamp near the town of Saratoga. They were all hungry and tired and, well, they were basically out of any other options, so they had to dig in and prepare to defend themselves. Within two days, the Americans have them surrounded. On October 17th, after what would be like a, week, a week's worth of a negotiation, General Bergogne would surrender. After, you know, the Americans basically humiliated the British at Saratoga, Horatio Gates would earn widespread public support and would run a pretty brief and clandestine attempt to replace George Washington as Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army, which failed. Washington maintained his post, you know, in case you uh, didn't know. He went on to become the president. General Bagani marched his defeated army back north and returned to England, where he is criticized pretty harshly for his actions at Saratoga and would not get any future commands in the British army. He was impressed by the Patriots' resistance to British, to Great Britain. France would sign a formal treaty of alliance with the Americans and balance the war in their favor. The Spanish and Dutch later provided support to the Americans as well, hoping to weaken British dominion in Europe. So that, that's just all pretty cool, you know. Lots of things to consider in there. Uh, but something else to talk about would be the spies. Because spies worked for both British and American armies. Secret messages and battle plans would be passed in a variety of creative ways, including being sewn into buttons. Patriots and loyalists pin these secret letters either in code or with invisible ink as masked letters. And here, ushistory.org has a little letter posted, which was Henry Clinton's mask letter. The first letter is the mask letter with the secret message uh, decoded in the second letter. Sir W. Howe has gone to the Chesapeake Bay with the greatest part of the army. I hear he has landed, but I am not certain. I am left to command here with too small of a force. To make any effectual diversion in your favor, I shall try something. At any rate, it may be of use to you. I own you, I think. Sir W's move just as this just at this time the worst he could take much on our joy your success August 10th 1777 uh, Henry Clinton's letter to John Bragani and in the second letter uh, which I believe was supposed to be the full letter it says I shall try something certainly towards the close of the year not till then at any rate it may be of use to inform you that report says all yields to you, I own to you that I think business will be quickly be over. Sir W's move at this time has been capital. Washington has been, Washington's have been the worst he could take in every respect. Sincerely, give you much joy on your success and am with great sincerity yours. Signed, Henry Clinton. So, and just staying on this topic, uh, on the topic of spies, 
Also here, according to U.S. history, I'll read, I'll read theirs. Benedict Arnold is best remembered as a traitor, an American patriot who spied for the British during the American Revolution. There's, there's a little bit more to this story. That Arnold was a pretty fierce patriot during the Stamp Act of the early years of the American Revolution. And the early years of the American Revolution, sorry. During the battles of Lexington and Concord, Arnold would work with Ethan Allen to capture Fort Ticonderoga. And he would be named a colonel. As a member of George Washington's Continental Army, he would lead a failed attack on Quebec, but was nonetheless named Brigadier General in 1776. Next thing, his next big moment came at the Battle of Saratoga. Benedict Arnold was instrumental in stopping the advance of the British and obtaining the surrender of British General John Burgoyne. During the Battle of Freeman's Farm, Arnold's leg would be severely wounded when pinned beneath his horse. Both Arnold and his leg survived. Uh, there's a monument to his leg at Saratoga National Historic Park, it says in quotations. Over the next two years, Benedict Arnold remained a patriot, but was upset and embittered at what he felt was a lack of his recognition and contribution to the war. 1778, uh, following British evacuation of Philadelphia, uh, Washington appointed Arnold as a military commander of the city. And again, I'm reading this from U.S. history. Uh, in Philadelphia, Benedict Arnold was introduced to and fell in love with Margaret Shippen, a young, well-to-do loyalist who was half his age. Miss Shippen, who had previously been friendly with John Andre, a British spy who had been in Philadelphia during the occupation as the adjutant to the British commander-in-chief, Sir Henry Clinton. It is believed that Peggy, uh, Miss, Miss Shippen, introduced Arnold to Andre. Meanwhile, Benedict Arnold's reputation while in Philadelphia was beginning to uh, tarnish. He was accused of using public wagons for private profit and being friendly to loyalists. Faced with a court-martial for corruption, he resigned his post on March 19, 1779. Following his resignation, Arnold began a correspondence with John Andre, now Chief of British Intelligence Services, but Arnold had also maintained his close relationship with George Washington and still had access to important information. For the next few months, Benedict Arnold continued his talks with Andre, the British spy, and agreed to hand over key information to the British. Specifically, Arnold offered to hand over the most strategic forces in America the most strategic fortress in America, I can't talk today, West Point. Arnold and Andre finally met in person, and Arnold handed over information to the British spy. Fortunately for both of them, Andre was caught, and Arnold's letter was found. And Arnold's friend, George Washington, was heartbroken over the news, but forced to deal with this treacherous act. While Benedict Arnold escaped to British-occupied New York, uh, where he was protected from punishment, John Andre was executed for spying. Benedict Arnold was named Brigadier General by the British government and sent Andre's to Virginia. Following Cornwallis' surrender at Yorktown in 1781, Arnold and his family would sail to Britain, and he would die in London in 1801. So there's all kinds of cool stuff uh, that happened there, and I believe... Uh, as I said before, 
this is one of the big turning points of the war uh, right beside of the Battle of Kings Mountain. I want to talk about that here in a little while. So with all that being said, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Support your favorite internet historian. So see you guys in the new year, and let's keep doing these podcasts.